0: Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. I will read verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And I want to draw your attention to the words here, a humbleness of mind. Put on humbleness of mind, that's the grammatical the logical thought there put on humbleness of mine and I believe everyone here um, pretty much everyone here uh, was was here this morning and I saw it fit uh, saw it wise and fitting to to bring really one one message to you this day as I speak at two different times on on the topic of humility and the grace of 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 humility. And we looked this morning at humility uh, before God, and that was the first part. And we noticed in that um, sermon that humility is a low estimation of oneself. That the word uh, humbleness of mind here, uh, Colossians 3, verse 12, put on humbleness of mind. It's actually one word in the Greek. And it's rightly translated, humbleness of mind. In other places, the same word is just translated humility for different reasons, I'm sure. But the idea of humbleness of mind comes from the fact that there's two words in the one word, low and and to think on something. And we saw that humility was getting at a state of mind. It's talking about what you think about and what you reckon about yourself. It's not necessarily or chiefly actions. Meekness, gentleness flows from humility. Humility is the root, gentleness and meekness are the fruits. We saw that, and that's the same here, thing here. We saw that it is uh, a command. We have that here. Put on humbleness of mind. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a command, it's, a, it's a, a, a visual, right? Put on clothes. We all put on clothes. Clothes are a part of us. We, we learn something about ourselves and we tell something about ourselves based on our clothes. And, and, and Paul is telling them to put on humility. Put it on. And it's um, in this context here, especially for God's people, for God's covenant people. For God's people who are in covenant with Him and know Him actually, who ha- who actually ha- have the the um, the uh, the covenant, they have Christ right um, put on. Therefore, humbleness of mind. He says, "As the elect of God, holy and beloved." This is who He's speaking to. He's speaking to the church uh, in Colossae. And what's interesting here, I'm I'm covering what, what we basically covered this morning, but there's a difference here. Okay? There's, there's a difference. Um, the, the perspective is horizontal. So we looked at this morning, humility before God. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God. And we are also to be humble horizontally in our relationships. This is the focus here. He's speaking to a church. In the next verse, he says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. We don't forgive God. That's blasphemous. It's ridiculous. The focus here is horizontal, as you relate to one another in your in your marriage, in your your parenting, in, in um, your office as a, as as a, a church office, and, and as one who's a member of a church, and all the different relationships that you have, uh, even here represented. That's that's what's going on. And so, what I want to do is is speak. Uh, to you under under three headings. I want to speak to you briefly um, the doctrine that this passage teaches. I've I've quickly expounded it to you with this morning in mind as well. I want to first uh, do, do three things. First, look at doctrine. The doctrine that this passage teaches. Second, make some clarifications on what humility before man is. And then third, application. And my title to you this morning is Humility... Uh, this, this evening is humility before men. So, so first, the doctrine of this text. I've quickly expounded just a little bit here. And it means this, that it is the duty, especially of God's people, it is the duty of God's people to have a low estimation of oneself before one another. Okay, it's the duty of God's people to have a low estimation of oneself before one another. Now, under this doctrinal heading, I'll do two things. First, I just want to prove this. Um, we have this in the, in the Bible in several places. This is an emphasis, actually. We read in Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Okay, vainglory is pride. It's arrogance. It's the opposite. Right? Do nothing like that. Don't be, don't be doing that. It generates strife. But in the lowliness of mind, same word, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Ephesians, another church, different church. These are all different churches in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, we read, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering forbearing one another in love. Again, the context is horizontal. And he says, interesting enough, all lowliness. That's a little bit different. There's an emphasis there, all lowliness. You know, how much humility should I have, uh, Paul? Well, you should have all humility, all lowliness. And this is, of course, something for us to do. It's our duty. We see it commanded here in many places. It's also something we see exemplified by Christ. We read about it in Philippians 2. He speaks about it in Matthew 11. Famous passage of Scripture. We, we, we listen to this. Matthew 11, verse 28. It's a, it's a wonderful, it's good news. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who is this man who's calling us to himself? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. The Lord Jesus Christ exemplified this lowliness being God and man two distinct natures in one person forever yet he's lowly. There's a lot of pastoral theology um, in regards to this because Paul the apostle as the early church uh, would refer to him Notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, be, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. There's the word base. It could be understood as, as um, lowly or humble. It's translated base there. But I'm and in your presence as an apostle, I'm humble before you. Well, under this doctrinal heading, I want to give you some reasons. Uh, Reasons why this is important. Specifically, uh, being humble, having a low estimation of of yourself in relation to one another. Why is this important? Why is it something we should focus on and, and, and do? First, it promotes peace and prevents contention among the brethren. It promotes peace among the brethren. I remember several years ago as a pastor of a church counseling a, a, a couple, a marriage couple, uh, in, in their marriage. And I met with them, and it was, it was serious. There were some serious problems in their marriage. And as you probably guess, uh, I was talking with them, and I realized very quickly that this was going to go nowhere If both of them did not, in some degree, very quickly, be willing to acknowledge that they have sinned, his fault, it's her fault, wait a second, what have you done? Humble yourself, consider it. It promotes peace, it generates peace. It's it's a big deal with that. Proverbs 13.10, by pride cometh contention. This is important. The devil wants to split this church right down the middle, then take those two halves and split them right down the middle. Generate uh, strife, contention. Well, secondly, why is this important? It's important because it seems to me, and I hope to demonstrate this, of course, but we're prone to the opposite. We're prone to be pride, maybe more than, than other things. This issue of pride is a big sin. It's, it's common. It's common. We're prone to do it. It was the sin of our first parents. They, they were tempted. They're going to be like God. They're going to know good and evil. Oh, that would be nice. I'd like to be God. That's pride. Certainly was the sin of Satan. And I could read some passages. But he left his first abode... He was haughty in his beauty, Ezekiel 28 17. Hugh Binning, one of our, our forefathers, says this in his book on Christian love, which I heartily commend to you. He says, A man is in danger of being proud that he's not proud, and being high minded because he's lowly, because it's so easy. It's so easy. I find it interesting in 1 John 2.16. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that we need to think about this because it's, we're prone to it. In 1 John 2.16, you know, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. What's the third thing he's going to mention? The pride of life. I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm a wonderful person. People should respect me more than they do. You know, that kind of thing. The pride of life. Look at me. Look what I've done. Well, the third, the third uh, reason, quickly, is that it brings many blessings. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Okay, I mentioned that this morning as well. God has two heavens, respectively. The heaven of heavens and the heart of of a humble man, and you want to be near to God. You you want to you want God to be near to you. It brings many blessings. Well, this is my doctrinal heading. Well, I want to speak to you secondly under uh, three clarifications. There's a certain sense in which I haven't really explained too much yet. Okay, on what humility is specifically before men. Well, I'm going to tell you what it's not, and that's helpful. Three clarifications. So what I'm talking about, in biblical humility before one another, it's not a denial of distinctions among yourselves. I was struck, actually, uh, in the reading during the service, and we ought to expect that to happen. Reading the Bible in the public worship is not a waste of time. God blesses it. And you ought to, children, listen to your minister, read the Bible. Here's an example of it. We have an example. Paul, he's not saying everyone's like Epaphroditus. He's not. It was um, verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Paul's lifting Epaphroditus up. Appropriately, you know, he's not just everyone's. Everyone's the same. I had a problem when I was coaching one of my sons when, uh, years ago in basketball. It was a little league basketball. It was a Christian league. It was a good, good thing and everything. But I was a little bit uncomfortable with the. the you had to give everyone rewards. You know, everyone had to be the best player, and you know, and you know, you're the offensive player of the the day, and. You know, and you, everyone you know, had to kind of get these awards at some point, and you're, you're not helping the kids. It's okay. It, it's actually more than okay. It's good for a, a young boy to realize he's not good at basketball. He needs to try harder. It's okay. And, and that's... The Bible doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Think about the election of officers. Okay, the election of officers. If we were to look at Acts chapter 6, and the, the first deacons, you would see... That the, the people actually notice qualified men to be in office. And they, and they choose them. And then, they, in this case, the apostles confirmed that, and then they ordained them. Right? And so he tells Titus in chapter 1, verse 5, you know, as I showed you, and the idea is in the book of Acts, appoint these men. Right? And he gives all these attributes of, of elders. And you, as a member of the church, are supposed to discern this. And you can see them. You're making distinctions. And that's appropriate. Right? It's not a denial. Oh, we're all the same. Um, you're, you're single and you're seeking to find a spouse and you want to find one that's on. Uh, you don't want to be unequally yoked. You want to discern who's, who's a Christian and not just that, but who's, as, as a young lady, who's going to lead me? And so what are you doing? You're making distinctions, you're recognizing differences. It's not, and this is important. Secondly, the second clarification is it's not an outward show. It's not an outward show. Joel, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says something very interesting and important for a lot of, a lot of ways. He says, he, he, he rebukes God's people. And he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Now, in our culture... Maybe this is something we should look into, perhaps, but you know, we don't rend our clothes as a sign of remorse and sorrow. And so we're not tempted to do that. You know, look at me, I'm rending my clothes. But they were. And he says, Your heart is dry. You're not sorrow over your sin. You're just rending your garments. Rend instead your heart. It's just an outward show. Paul warns the Colossians of this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. He talks about a voluntary humility. And the idea there. If we were to investigate, I believe, is voluntary as a, a mechanical production that is shown forth outwardly. He speaks about humility negatively in that same chapter in verse 23. And I'll read that to you. Colossians 2:23 says, Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. And I think we're, you know, we, we like to dial in on that phrase. It's an important phrase, will worship. You know, worshiping God according to your will and on His appointment. We're, we're aware of that. The next thing, though, is and humility. And he just leaves the same word right out there on the page. And humility. But it's not the right humility. Right? It's, it's, it's not actually the, the humility I've been talking about. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And the, and the idea is just an outward show. Um... I said earlier that we don't, we're not tempted to rend our clothes. And that's true. I, I think we need to think about humility as an outward show. Um, in my experience as a Christian, I'm 39. I've, you know, I've seen some churches and I've been around a little bit. And I've noticed there's kind of like a, a fad or maybe just kind of a, a thing, mainly in, in, in you know, evangelical churches, to confess Private sins publicly. And you, you, you go to people, and, you, and, and the idea, of course, is that they think it's supposed to spark revival and people start confessing sin and falling down. And we want people to confess their sins and we want people to repent. But it's like a mechanical production of this. And so they, they start confessing private sins publicly. And what is that? Listen, you confess your private sins. There may be some exceptions to this, but you confess your private sins to the Lord and you repent. Don't show everybody your repentance. It's a a show. Look how humble I am. I I did this yesterday. I shouldn't have done it. You know, and that's maybe an example of what I'm talking about. It's not an outward show. Thirdly, it's not self-pity. It's not self-pity. Now, self-pity is a a self-indulgent dwelling Upon one's own sorrows or circumstances, poor, poor me, poor, poor me. This is one of the two wrong responses people can have who are actually in a low place. People who don't really have much to be proud about. You know, one they can just lie to themselves and think they are, and then two they can look at that and they want to be a great person, and so they kind of just, they kind of pity themselves. It's a concealed pride, is what it is. I deserve more. That's what it is. So it's not a self-pity. It's not an ungratitude and, 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 and that type of thing. Okay, so it is, though, a low estimation of oneself before others. So what what is that exactly? And they, these come by way of application. So I have application, I have four applications I want to give to you about this. This is a practical thing. What I'm speaking about is, is very practical. We ought not to have much debate about this with some of our other brothers and sisters and other churches. It's not super theological, but it is very experimental. It's very practical. It's going to affect your life immediately. Well, first, if you're going to do this, if you're going to exercise the duty to have a low estimation of yourself before men, first is you're going to give an honest and true assessment of yourself. You're going to have, about yourself, an honest and true assessment. And this is uh, the other part. Um, of those who are in a low place, there's two types of sin. one, self-pity, and this is the other one. To just lie about yourself. The, the first sin of pride is, lie, is, is a lie, because it attributes something excellent to something that's not excellent. Okay, it's very helpful, young people, to know yourself. Um, Maybe you're not all that great. And it's good to know that and and to not lie about it and and to to fake it. Um, Think about this verse, Matthew 7, 3. Very famous, popular verse. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? I find it this interesting. A lot going on in this pa- famous passage. But part of the problem is they don't have a knowledge of themselves. They look at others and they say, Oh, look at your sin. And look at your sin. And they don't know their own sin. They, they, they lie to themselves. They lie to themselves. Knowing yourself is really helpful. It's really it's really useful. I remember having a conversation with a, a, a couple, a family, and they were thinking about being in part of a new church plant. And they, and they, were, they said to me, I don't know if we, we would be good as a seed, you know, as it were, a seed family in a church plant. I mean, we're just baby Christians. I don't know if we could do it. And I thought there was something good about that. You know, in some sense it's like, well, wait a second, you know. Um, but I actually kind of liked that. They were being honest they, they saw their own need. Listen, I don't, I, there's not much we can give. We, we need a pastor to spend time on our marriage. We need a pastor to tell us how to parent our kids. We don't know a lot of things. We're going to just pull from this pastor. I don't know if we'd really be a good seed family. I thought that was helpful. It's, it's in contrast to maybe this idea, maybe you've met people, and of course we love these types of people, and we, we want to encourage zeal and whatnot, but the idea of like suddenly becoming a Christian and then you, know, you, you become a Christian and then soon after that you're, you're a missionary to Africa. I'm going to go to Africa and be a missionary. It's like, well, okay. Let's think about that. Let's go through the process. But do you realize what, How that's a big deal. That's a big... The devil wants to, to kill you. You're in St. Louis. He definitely is going try to try to get you in Africa where you're going forth spreading the gospel. You know, do you have a right knowledge of yourself? I find that helpful. So first, give an honest and true assessment of yourself. Okay, so you've done that. And in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, the Lord's done a good work in me. What if you are a godly person? And what if you, what if you are um, doing well? Especially in light of Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You're supposed to esteem others better than, Than yourself. But in the Lord, in spiritual matters, what if you're not? What what if you actually are godly? Right? What does this mean? Well, I'm going to give you some thoughts on that. So, the second application is the duty, or, or, or this is the application focus on the excellencies of others. Focus on the excellencies of others. You're, you're going to, to see brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you're going to see their excellencies. You don't have all the excellencies. I don't care who you are. Paul didn't have all the excellencies. He had some defects. And no doubt, you're, so you're a strong Christian, and you have some excellencies. And you recognize, you can say before the Lord, the Lord's been good to me. He's blessed me. But by by I am what I am by the grace of God. And yet, you don't have all the excellencies. And so you're looking out and you see, oh, that person's, you know, they're really good about this. Right? Um, we, we, we typically notice defects, don't we? You know, you're looking out and you, you, know, you, you see the church members, you see people in your family, you see your brothers and sisters, your parents, your spouse, or whatnot. And you know the defects. When I was in the army, uh, after an exercise, mission, training, exercise, whatever it is. We do AARs, after action review. And it was just army doctrine to spend about five minutes on what you you need to sustain. Hey, we did this good. And spend the rest of the time talking about your improvements and just picking apart people that messed up. You know, we're all big boys right in the army and, and whatnot. And we ought not to do that, right? In our mind, thinking about, uh, well, this is their problem, this is their problem. Focus, rather, on the excellencies. Hugh Binning says this, kind of mid thought here. He says, This is what we ought to be doing taking ourselves up in the notion of what is evil in us, more on that in a second, and another up in the notion of what is good in, in others. And he says, regarding Philippians 2.3. he says, Thus there may be an, an equality. Of mutual respect and love where there is an inequality of gifts and graces. I find that to be helpful. It explains several passages of scripture for us. I'm going to give you a few. So you're going to focus on the excellencies of others. Romans 12.10 How can we do this? Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Romans 12.10 in honor, preferring one another. Well, I thought we were supposed to honor those who, who served well as elders, worthy of double honor, you know, that kind of idea. Or to esteem those highly who labor among us. You know, we're not supposed to just make everyone um, flat. Well, how are we doing this? How, how can we honor someone and prefer them before us? Because we're going to look at their excellencies. You know, you, sir, really have a passion for the gospel. You know, I, I'm kind of afraid. I've never really shared the gospel. I've, I've never actually passed a track out on the street in my life. You know, you're really good about that. Now, this same person who's really good at street evangelism, is got uh, maybe he's got a short temper or something. He's got other problems. We're not going to focus on that. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, sir, you, you, know, you sit here. Oh, I want to hear what you have to say, sir. You're going to honor them. Because you're looking at their excellencies. Do you love and value one another? How can you do that more? Look at their excellencies. Something else I've thought about: Do you compliment others? You, you don't want to compliment your others in flattery, fake it, and, and you don't want to do that. And, and you don't want to compliment yourself. You can compliment others on their excellencies. It, it, it engenders love and affection toward one another, and it helps you fulfill some of these duties of of, of esteeming others better than yourself and honoring, preferring them. Um, Proverbs, let's see, twenty seven two. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth; a stranger, and not thine own lips. In that verse, we're being warned not to talk about ourselves, but we're also being told little bit indirectly, to praise others. You, you know what? I'm encouraged by your boldness to do street evangelism. I'm just picking that as an example, right? You're very kind to my children. I appreciate that. Focus on the excellencies of others. Well, third, oh, and another thing on that um, that I find helpful is 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 rejoicing in others' graces. It's kind of the same thing I've been talking about, but but you, you know you, you don't you see someone else's grace, grace is growing. Don't be envious of them. Rejoice with them. It's interesting in Second Peter three fifteen, Peter applauds, he he commends Paul. They're both apostles. They're not competing with one another. He's rejoicing that in the wisdom that God has given Paul. That famous verse, 2 Peter 3.15. Okay, so the third application. You want to fulfill this commandment to put on humbleness of mind in the context of of one another. In the context of your marriage, in the context of your children, in the context of your church. Secondly, um, consider your own defects. Okay, so you consider your, your defects. Um, not, not in, a, in a self-pity way, of course, but here's the idea. You're doing well. You are. You're, you're growing. You, you're, you, you, you have a measure of importance. People look up to you. And pride knocks on the door. Right? Consider your defects. It's the other side of the quote I gave you by Hugh Benning. You, you want to spend time taking yourselves up in the notion of what evil is in you. How, how many of you actually do that? You examine yourselves and you, you, see, uh, you see your sin. Now, maybe some of you do it more than you ought and you're, and you're tempted by the devil to give up and, and things like that. But some of us don't do it enough. Okay? Um, we don't deny what we know to be true, you know, our knowledge. Um, but it's the idea of, of something as simple as remembering that we could be wrong and listening. I've been wrong before. Have you ever been wrong before? Okay, just take one thing, you know, bad decision, maybe even a theological point that you've since flipped. (laughs) Raising my hand on that, right? Have you been wrong before? Think about this, Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. And this is the phrase, be not wise in your own conceits. Be not wise in your own conceits. What does that mean? I think the, the word conceits there is a helpful, helpful word. Um, opinions maybe another another good way of understanding it. You, know, you have an opinion on something and you're right because you've studied it and you've thought about it. And he's saying, be not wise in your own conceits. In other words, be willing to listen. Be willing to learn. Maybe you don't know. Don't be wise in your own conceits. Again, we listen for biblical arguments, and if it's not a biblical argument, we're not going to change. We're going to follow Christ. But you know, just listen to people. You could be wrong. That's a that's a sign of humility because you're looking at yourself. You remember, and this is just an issue of maybe like a a decision. There's other ways to look at your own defects, but um, that's I think part of 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 Paul's. Word in Ephesians 4.2, all lowliness. Put on all lowliness, right? Um, I want to give one other uh, thought here. Um, Apollos, uh, if, I, if, I, if I understand correctly, Apollos is a, is a, Greek, a Greek name and it's, it's probably, a, I think it's a god or something like that. But the biblical care, character of Apollos is a wonderful character. Maybe we should name our sons this or something. I mean, Apollos is wonderful. Why is Apollos wonderful? Listen to this in Acts 18. I'm going to read four verses. With this in mind, this concept of humility in mind, listen to this passage. Acts 18, verse 24 through 28. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, he has natural gifts an eloquent man. He's a good speaker. Came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit. He's not just, he doesn't just have natural gifts, he's, he's godly too. He's fervent in the Spirit. He's zealous for the Lord. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. I wonder how he responded to that. So Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla's a woman. She's a woman. So here's this man. He was, you know, he was uh, a speaker. He was a teacher. And he's being corrected by a woman. How's he going to respond to that? Is he humble? I mean, can, can men learn from women? Right, of course we can. It was a joke, but, you know, that was I'm trying to get you to think about the scenario, Right? What, is the, what does it read? Verse 27, When he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Think about the man, Apollos. We need people like that. Godly. Fervent in the spirit, but mighty in the scriptures. An eloquent man. We need good speakers. We need men like R.C. Sproul to defend the faith publicly. And he did that, right? Yet this man was humble. It's not not directly in the the passage. But he was humble. He was corrected by a a layman, as far as I know, and his wife. Hey, you only know the baptism of John. Let me tell you about Jesus He he had a, he had an eye to his defects, so so a wife and and, and her husband are, are are talking about their kids and their in and parenting, and, and the husband maybe he made a mistake maybe he he spoke too sharply, and and his wife comes to him and says hey sweetie you know what do you think maybe you shouldn't have said that, what's he gonna do yeah he's gonna listen to her, have you ever met someone who was never wrong. You could be something simple. Like, where are we going to go out to eat the dinner tonight? Well, one person says, oh, that place is actually closed. No, it's not. It's not closed. They're always open at 6.30 on Friday night. And sure enough, that person had talked to the manager and they were closed today, but the other person's not going to listen to them. They're going to drive to that dinner. It's such a silly thing, right? But they're they're not going to listen to people. They're right. I know they're they're always open on 6.30 on Friday. How do you respond to a rebuke? Think about the last time your equal, your peer, a friend, came up to you and said, hey, you think you should be doing that? Should you be talking like that? How did you respond? Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. Smite me with their mouth. Rebuke. And it shall be a kindness. Kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. How do you view someone rebuking you? How do you view your pastor or your elder rebuking you? You've got to listen to them. You've got to listen to them. Have an eye on your defects. You could be wrong. Could be wrong. It's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to be rebuked. Suppose, of course, you could be rebuked wrongly and it could be, you know, scandal and slanderous and and God's going to get you through that. But if you're going astray and if God loves you, he's going to send someone along to rebuke you. Have the humility to listen and to really listen because you're going to think to yourself, I've been wrong before. Well, fourthly, perhaps most importantly, especially to you here who are doing well and you love Christ and you're tempted to be proud. Pride is knocking on the door. It's always knocking on the door. I read Hugh Binning, I think it was Binning, and he said, we're tempted to be proud in our humility. And I just, like that, that, that resonated with me personally. So listen to this. Consider God's gifts to you. Okay, I'm talking about horizontally here. You know, we talked about humility before God. Now we're talking about humility before man. We're commanded to put on, therefore, as a left in God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, meekness, humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind. Consider God's gifts. Imagine um, the following scenario: You have two men. There's two men. The first man is married. He has a, a lovely wife, five kids. He's a professional. He has a profession. He's he's gone, got a master's degree of some type. He has a nice home. He's a deacon. The second man, the second man is divorced. Uh, s- several years ago by a quarrelsome woman who was an unbeliever. He has no kids. He works a, a, an hourly wage job. He's not ordained. He was a former drug addict. But he's a member of the, of the local church in good standing. Okay. So here's these two men. And, and the temptation for the first man is to be like, I'm important. And I'm more important than that other guy. And you know I'm I'm influential and I'm a I'm a player I'm a mover and a shaker, right? And this other man, you know, he can sit in the back or whatever. You know, just people think this way. And what we need to think about is consider God's gifts. The first man grew up in a Christian home. He grew up in a Christian home. His dad was an elder. He was privately educated in a Christian school. He has loads of natural gifts that he didn't earn that were given to him by God. He had mentors all through his life, high school and college, do this, go this way, mentors for a professional life, not just mentors in spiritual things. He was churched his whole life. He heard good preaching all his life. Second man... grew up in an abusive home by pagans. He was introduced to drugs early in his life. He was converted later in life. and spent 10 years in a church that taught him the gospel, but that's about it. He has little to no natural gifts. He went to public school and learned all the trash that they teach there. His first wife was, was a quarrelsome woman. It didn't help him. That changes things, brethren. Listen to this passage from, from Paul Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according As God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Your faith is a gift from God. Your knowledge is a gift from God. Your natural gifts are a gift from God. Paul says to the Corinthians, What do you have that you did not receive? Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Listen to him talk about himself in 1 Corinthians 15.10. I love this. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. That's kind of a proud thing to say. Then he says this. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. I find this to be very humbling, brethren, and helpful to you. Because there's a thing called the parable of the talents. And that's how we need to think. This brings pride down. The parable of the talents, paraphrasing it quickly, right? Two different people, three different people are given different amounts of talents. And then they produce some things, right? And, And the idea is, you know, this second man that I told you about, you know, he was given one talent. And he produced like two. He's now a, good, a member in good standing of a church. He's, he's joyful. He's glad where he's at. Wonderful. And the first man, he was given four talents. And he produced maybe two. I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of getting you to think. Right? What's, what's, what's there really going... What's going on here? Think about what God has given you I find that to be humbling Luke 1248 a summary of the parable of the talents for unto whom uh, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more I mentioned to you um, dr. Joel Bikey this morning. And um, I'm sure I can mention other men. I'm not trying to bring attention to Dr. Beakey. Uh, he's, he's a good man. I'm not trying to, to, to you know, say anything negative at all. But my understanding is Dr. Beakey grew up in a Christian home. He had godly parents. You know, he, 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 he was given much. He should produce much, right? And then you're looking at your life and you're thinking to yourself, you know, pride is knocking on your door. And, and you're commanded to esteem others better than yourselves. And you're like, well, not me, because I'm actually better than everybody else. That's for the other people. No, it's for you. And you need to consider your gifts. Are you using your gifts? Children, you have godly parents. Much is expected of you. You've been given much. I know your preacher. I know he's a good man. He preaches to you every Lord's Day, faithful sermons. Are you listening to them? you're going to come you're going to give account for how you're listening there's other Christians and you look at them and you're like oh they don't practice purity of worship or they don't understand how marriage is supposed to work and they're not told they're not told by their pastor and they raise their kids in unbiblical ways and they they want to obey they want to obey God but they', they never told how to, to raise their kids and things happen and, and and sure enough things you know things happen and whatnot and but you've been told, right? I'm just using that as one example, parenting. And that's humbling. And that'll bring you down and make you think about yourself. Maybe I'm not so hot after all. I have a much, much to do for the Lord, He's given me much. So, brethren, this is my message to you it's the duty of God's people to have a low estimation of oneself before one another. And I want you to keep these applications in your mind because you're commanded to be low, not just before God who's almighty, who knows all things, but before one another. This is how I think we are to do it. Amen.